0: Thank you for that beautiful song. I don't speak Latin, but I know that it was beautiful. It must have been praises to God. I actually studied Latin when I was in my ninth grade. I went to a school that was training me to be a laboratory technician in the Czech Republic, and one of the subjects that we had to do was to study Latin. But it was medical Latin, so it wouldn't help me anyways. But there are certain words that I do still remember, like dominum, and in the Czech Republic, Latin is kind of all over. If you go see different statues and different things, you see Latin all around, and choirs sing in Latin a lot. And so it reminded me of being there once again. Thank you for praising God. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Lord, I want to pray that you're here. I pray that your Holy Spirit fills this place and that you are the one who speaks and not me. Amen. I looked up as two ladies, two beautiful ladies, walked into my classroom. It was my ninth grade year in high school in the Czech Republic, the last year that I was still there. The year after that I came here. And the two ladies walked straight to the teacher, and they started talking in hushed tones. And then the teacher looked towards us and said, everyone, please look up. And then she motioned with her hand as if to say to the ladies, go ahead, do what you need to do. And the ladies just kind of walked around a little bit, but mostly just looked at us. And by now, we're curious. What are these ladies doing in our classroom? And they went back to the front, and they talked some more with the teacher, And then finally, one of the ladies stepped forward and said, we are here from this and this modeling agency, and we are going around the Czech Republic and we're choosing girls to join us. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for you to become a model for the Czech Republic, maybe even Europe, and to even represent us for the world. And then she said, you should feel special because we have chosen two girls, out of your class, and the two of them are in your classroom." And then she just pointed, this girl right here, and then this girl all the way in the back, she didn't even know her names. I was sitting right here in the front. I was the first person on the right. And as soon as she pointed towards me, I thought, well, that can't be right, so I'm looking around, trying to figure out what it is that she is at, who she is actually pointing at. And then the teacher says, no, no, that's right. She said, it's Andrea Moskalova, my check name before I got married. And then she named the girl all the way in the back because she was a tall girl. And then the ladies called us to the front and they gave us these packets and they said, you need to talk to your parents, you need to make sure that you tell them that this is an opportunity you don't want to miss out. You'll never get this opportunity again. And they told us to give them a call that night. Needless to say, I don't, didn't really pay attention to anything else that was going on in school because all I could think of was, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a famous model. And I could not wait to get home and tell my parents that this is what happened to me. As soon as I got home, I ran into the house, I threw off my backpack with a newfound elegance that I definitely didn't possess before that, and I burst into the room. Mom and Dad, You have no idea what just happened to me today. I am going to be a famous model. And that was the first and the last day of my modeling career. (laughs) My parents were really smart and they talked to me about it and they said, well, can you really imagine yourself doing that as a Christian? What are you gonna do about the Sabbaths? And so the more we discussed about it, the more I knew they had a point and it was not going to happen. But at that time, that was my idea of success. That was me finally being able to to take it somewhere. I grew up in a family with five kids. I was the oldest one of of five. We were really poor. There were times where my mom would say we had nothing to eat except for what was grown in the garden and then bread because it was really cheap. I I didn't really know because I was a kid. But as I grew older, I knew because I only had one pair of pants to wear. Whereas many of my friends had a lot more than that. And so, because my parents didn't have the money, they couldn't actually send us to, okay, you go and learn how to play soccer or play or do ballet or anything like that. I could never do anything. And so I always felt like I wasn't good at anything. And now, finally, I had this chance to make something out of myself. And I knew it wasn't going to work. I want to ask you a question, actually, several. If you think about your life right now, would you say that you are successful? And then I also want you to think, what is success to you? And one more, does God want us to be successful? I hear yes. Yes, the Bible is full of stories, isn't it, of of how God made people successful. And it says God gave them prosperity and he gave them success. God put something in us so that we want to make a difference in the world. We want to put that stamp on something that we have done. And so I had wondered for a long time if there is something in the Bible that actually gives us a formula for success. There are so many books out there where people talk about how to be successful, and so I thought, well, shouldn't there be one in the Bible? And about a couple of years ago, I looked up all of the passages that talk about success. Someone, God giving someone success. And as I was studying them, I discovered that there was a pattern that was coming out for me. And that the people, most of the people, who God made successful in some way lived this formula out in their lives. And so today I want us to go to one of those stories where we see that formula being played out. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And the story is about King Asa. Asa. King Asa was the great-grandson of King Solomon, but his father and grandfather did not leave him a very good legacy in terms of they never really cared about whether the people of the nation really followed God or not. But Asa was given a very struggling kingdom. He was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, because by now there were two. And he knew that the nation was struggling with idolatry. Although they still worshiped God and they went to the temple and they offered sacrifices and incense, burnt incense every morning and every evening, they also worshiped all the other gods of the nations around them. They just kinda took them from all over and brought them in. The Bible says that they were on every high hill. Wherever you looked, you could find a shrine, an altar, or a temple. For, to, for a different God. And so Asa says, well, that is not going to be my kingdom. I'm not going to follow the legacy of my parents and grandparents. I'm gonna do something different. And so this is what he does. Let's start with verse two. It says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him, and he built fortified cities in Judah." So what does he do? He tells the people that they need to seek God. They need to go back to the Word of God. The scrolls of the Bible had been laying in the temple on the shelves. No one had touched them in years. And the priest didn't talk about what was in the Bible because the people didn't want to hear it. But on top of just saying, okay, we need to seek God, we need to go back to the Bible, he says there's one more thing we need to do. He said he knew that the people will not go back to God and will not spend time in God's word unless he removed what stood in the way. And so he tore down all of the altars and shrines, everything that was there, to keep them away from God. The people knew that there was only one God that had ever made himself real because they had heard the stories. But that's just it. They were... Just stories. Because it is impossible to experience God real in our lives if we're not willing to let Him take over. And so, because everyone else is worshiping idols, they did the same. Sometimes, when everyone else is doing something, it tricks us into believing that it is okay and that even God is okay with it. Asa is on a mission. He's going to get rid of what stood in the way of their relationship with God. And then he keeps going and says, he does some more things. He built fortified cities in Judah, I'm in verse six, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. "'Therefore he said to Judah, "'Let us build these cities and make walls around them "'and towers, gates, and bars, "'while the land is yet before us, "'because we have sought the Lord our God.'" Asa was a king of a nation, and he knew what his job was. He wanted to make sure that the people were safe. He wasn't just going to sit on his throne and let God do everything. He had a job to do. And so he builds and he built thick and high walls to protect the people, and put gates and bars in so that intruders couldn't get in, and watchtowers so they could see enemy coming from far away. But there is something else that a nation needs in order to be safe. It needs an army. And so Asa builds an army, and it says that he had in verse 8, 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. Now, all of this that I have just read, it just kind of goes boom, 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 lays out what Asa has done, and it describes this formula that I'm talking about. The formula itself, is found in verse seven, and it's in the part that I skipped over. So let's go there. The last part of verse seven says, we have sought God, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now what are the two things that they did? They sought God and they built. And then it says they prospered. So if I were to put this formula as an equation, I would say seek plus build equals success. But it is not seeking success, it is seeking God. Because if we seek success, success, the true success from God, may actually elude us. It is about seeking God and building for Him. Now, they had peace in this land, right? And we could say, well, I mean, things are sometimes easy when when there's peace and there's nothing really going on. Does this formula really work when something happens, when hardships come? Well, let's see what happens next. A bad guy appears on the scene in verse 9. Zerah the Ethiopian, he was a Nubian warrior who wanted to repeat the victory of Pharaoh Shishak some 30 years ago who came in and plundered and destroyed Jerusalem. And it says that this guy comes in with a million warriors. Sometimes in the Bible, numbers are kind of estimated, and sometimes they are supposed to give us a picture. And the picture that that the author wants us to see here is that the army of Zerah way outnumbered the army of Asa. But Asa, amazingly, is not scared. He goes into battle anyways, and he sets up all of his warriors in the valley of Zarephath. He's not blindsided, though. He doesn't think that he, on his own, can win. But he has been seeking God and building for Him. He knows that he has done his best. And now, when he is not enough, he knows someone who is. And so he cries out to God, in verse 11, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. He doesn't say don't let man prevail against us, he says, don't let man prevail against you, God. We belong to you. Whatever happens here is a victory for you. And God answers. And it says The Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And all that Asa's army had to do was chase after them and plunder the cities and bring all the riches back home. Once again, They were successful. God gave them success. He gave them victory. So yes, it does work even in times of hardships. Because when we have sought the Lord and built for him, we are ready for battle. But what about today? What does seeking and building mean for you and me? We don't live in Judah. We do not have a theocracy and therefore no army. And as far as I know, none of us are building cities and and fortifying walls. So how do we seek and build? Well, I'm gonna take each one of them. Number one, seeking God. How do we do that? Well, we know what seeking means. We know that it means going after something, just like Pastor Mark was saying, going to look for something that you lost. Ever since I was little, I have heard people say, whenever someone was asking about, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I spend time with God? How do I get to know him more? People would always say, well, you just need to do a little bit, you know, start somewhere small, it'll grow big, so just do five minutes here and there, and then it'll grow into something bigger. And well, I, I'm gonna tell you that I believe that it is one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever heard. Maybe it's not the worst piece of advice, okay, I'm pretty, pretty sure I've heard some worse. but It is pretty bad. And before you think that I'm exaggerating, let me tell you why. Have you ever seen a warrior who has trained for five minutes a day, and then gone into battle? Do you think they would have been really good warriors? Would you want them to fight on your side? But somehow we think that in this world, where the great controversy was raging all the time, Our five minutes is going to cut it. And that if we spend time with God just once in a while, just a little bit, it's going to be okay. But the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We don't have the luxury to spend time with God for five minutes. And let's face it, if it really worked, and it really, five minutes, got people excited about God, don't you think that our churches would be bursting at the seams with people who are on fire for God? Five minutes doesn't work, and we know that doesn't work. And yet, we keep trying. The other thing Asa did was he got rid of what stood in the way. He removed things that were keeping him and his nation from walking with God. There's a story that Napoleon Hill tells in his book, Think Think and Grow Rich, about an old warrior who was about to face an army that was so much larger than his, he knew that his odds were not good. But he brought his warriors anyways, and they came in on ships to the shore where the battle was going to happen. He had them unload and take all the cargo off, and then he sent a few of them back to the ships with a torch and told them to burn the ships. And the warriors are standing on the shore, staring at these ships, going up in flames, their only source of retreat disappearing. And then the old warrior stands up and says, you see those ships going up in smoke? The only way we get out of here today is if we win. So you have a choice. We win or we perish. And the story says that that day, they won the battle. And I sometimes wonder, are we too afraid to burn the ships? The things that we are so comfortable with that we could just jump right back on. Why aren't we burning the ships? And you could say, well... Pastor Andrea, I've tried that. It's just too hard to get rid of certain things in my life. Well, it is always going to be too hard if you don't do the first thing first. What is that? Seeking God. If you just try to remove all those things in your life without seeking God, those things will still be there and will keep coming back. Only when we seek God first and we ask Him to get rid of those things, do those things lose their luster, and then God gives us victory over them. Well, what about building? How do we build for God today? Well, I believe it's about asking ourselves the question, am I building for God in every area of my life? Am I building for God in my marriage, or am I destroying my marriage by the things I say, by the things I do? Am I building for God through the talents that God has given me? Am I using them for Him? Or am I using them for the dark side instead? Am I building for God with my children or am I hurting those relationships? Am I building for God in my job or am I building for me or my boss? But there's one thing that we need to remember as we think about this formula. Seek, build, and have success. Be careful about flipping the two. Because if we end up building first before seeking God, we may sometimes build things that God never intended for us to build. Like the Tower of Babel. I never asked God what he wanted me to do in life. I just did it, I just said I'm going to be a doctor, a medical doctor, so that's what I'm gonna do. And then I realized that really wasn't my passion, so then I switched my major three different times until eventually graduated with elementary education degree. And then I did a different master's degree, because once again I didn't believe what God really wanted me to do, which was ministry, was relief from him. And now I have a ton of loans to pay off for a degree that I never would have had if I had just listened to God in the first place. And yes, it is true, God still helps us even when we mess up. But wouldn't it just be easier if we did it the right way first? If we asked God first? There are two things I want to leave you with. Number one, if you ever feel like you have been seeking God and building for him, and yet there is this huge army that's coming against you that's so much bigger than yours, remember that you can be like Asa and that you can cry out to God, Lord, help me. There is nothing for you to help. And God will come down and he will disperse the army, even if sometimes it is a little bit differently than what we expect. And number two, if there are ever two ladies who walk into your life and they promise you success without seeking God and building for him I pray that every single one of us turns around walks away and never looks back